This week we speak with Fraser Ingram, the Group Chief Operating Officer at Virgin Money. We discuss the recent merger of CYBG and Virgin Money, his approach to helping run now the sixth largest bank in the UK with 4,000 employees and 6 million customers, how their purpose helps unify both brands, COVID-19 and the speed of digital transformation. We also talk about how the consumer has changed, where innovation should happen, diversity and inclusion in financial services. We talk about his favorite books, mistakes, mentors, and some surprising facts about sheep. Enjoy the chat. Three, two, one. Fraser Ingram is the Group Chief Operating Officer at Virgin Money, now the sixth largest bank in the UK. Prior to this, he was Chief Information Officer, Innovation and Change Director, also for Virgin Money. He was responsible for IT, procurement, information and cybersecurity and driving the digital and technology transformation of the bank. Before joining the bank, he was Chief Operating Officer at Kleinwert Benson in London and CIO of Citizens Bank in the USA. Fraser has a wide range of experience across businesses, functions and geographies, including business transformation, IT and change management. Fraser Ingram, welcome to Dot .innovate. Thanks, Nathan. Um, nice to be with you. Um, pleased to be here. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've been looking forward to speaking to you for some time. You've got an absolutely fascinating history and background since getting your MBA from Aston University in 1996. Tell us how you got started in the financial services industry. Was this always the plan that you had for your career? Um, I don't know if it's the same as many people leaving school or further education now, Nathan, but I didn't really have a plan. Um, I joined banking in 1994 and you could study your bank exams, you can have a degree qualification um, as you were working. And then uh, that's that's what I did. Uh, and I kind of worked my way up, worked my way through, changed jobs a bit. And then I did, as you mentioned, I did my MBA. Um, and then through various roles, I ended up doing this one. But no, it, it, I would like to say it was some grand master plan and it's all come together. But um, a bit of mixture of hard work uh, good luck and chance is how it all came together, I think. You've held senior leadership roles at RBS and other large financial services institutions throughout your career. Talk about what some of the major takeaways from those experiences have been that now prove useful being Chief Operating Officer at the bank. Um, it's a good question. I think the more experience you get, the more you realise you rely on a good team. Um, and so the the one thing when focus is in on or I focus in on is whenever I get a new role is to work out what's what we're trying to achieve as the department or the function what are mm. the kind of key elements of that and then work out what's the best way to structure it um, and then at the same time who's best to lead it um, because as you get bigger roles Nathan it's almost impossible to be on top of absolutely every detail so how you set the tone at the top and how your team then kind of execute or deliver against your plans is probably the most important thing. Hmm. Quite quite fascinating. In, in, in 2016, you become Director of Innovation, Technology and Change Management for CYBG, um, Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank in, in 2016, which is now Virgin Money, as we'll come to uh, a little bit later in the show. Um, and there you were in charge of modernizing the bank. So everything from mobile banking, internet banking, AI, robotics, and a number of other services that have delivered a lot of value to the consumer. 
As we all know, Open Banking also launched in 2016. Talk a little bit about some of the products that you're most proud of since your since you started the role in 2016. Thanks. I, I think you know, 2016 was the year where we launched a completely new mobile proposition called B. Um, and B in 2016 into 2017 had many of the features that some of the new entrants talk about now as if they're new, such as savings pots, budgeting tools, um, and even things like uh, being able to scan your check-in and pay it into, the, uh, pay it into your account. Um, and we've continued to extend that, and that's now been rebranded as part of the Virgin Money um, rebranding exercise. One of the features that it's got inside it, which uses data and kind of open banking uh, techniques, is uh, an ability for our customers to compare their utility bills and save some money. So it plugs in um, and checks to see how much you're paying on your gas, your electric, and then ask for permission to check up via one of the, the comparison websites and then comes back with a potential better offer, allowing you to use your data to drive value for yourself. I think that's probably one of the, the best ones. And we've had that for about 18 months now. Quite quite fascinating. We'll, we'll come back to the, some of the other innovations uh, a little bit later in the show. But in, in 2019, um, CYBG, um, merged with Virgin Money, as we discussed a moment ago, to create the sixth largest bank in the UK. You've got over 6 million personal and business customers now. You're consolidating, as I understand it, three apps into the Virgin Money platform. Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank have ultimately been around for just shy of 100 years and probably a little bit longer. Very strong customer base, very loyal customer base. That really puts the Virgin Money brand on steroids, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite a powerful combination. Um, firstly, a combination of product sets. So Virgin Money, um, prior to the, the transaction, very, very strong in savings accounts, mortgages and credit cards. Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank, very strong in business banking and high street banking. I mean, both had other things to be, to be proud of, but if you think of that combination, it really is quite powerful. You've got a, a strong clearing bank, traditional bank presence through mm. uh, Clydesdale and Yorkshire with a powerful brand that gives you permission to do different things or to do things differently in Virgin Money. So we we saw it as um, quite a powerful combination. Now the challenge is to make, to make the most of that in quite a difficult environment. Now, the pushback from some would be that the Virgin brand obviously plays to a younger demographic. Um, CYBG skews slightly older. Some may say that the merger is really playing up to more of a younger millennial audience and or almost overlooking the more traditional older customers of CYBG. Discuss. That's quite interesting. Well, um I think one of the powerful aspects of the Virgin brand is it seems quite young, yet it's been around for 50 years. Huh, okay. Um, so so somehow or other, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Virgin brand seems to be able to continue to refresh itself and, mm. and appeal um, to all sorts of segments. Many of the customers actually in the what we call the heritage Virgin money brand are actually the older demographic. Many of the savings are the older demographic. Um, 
the, the credit card book's quite a mixed book, a high quality book, and mortgages clearly that's not for the for the hipsters. It's, it tends to be people who are slightly older who tend to get mortgages. Sure. Um, so it, I think I think it's a potential um, the way optically it might look. There's no doubt that with uh, Clydesdale and Yorkshire being around for a while, it has that high street established heritage. Um, and but 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 it's a powerful combination for both of them. I think the thing you have to watch is. Um, as you transform to the bank of the future, as as customers needs change, that you take your customers with you, uh, and anyone mm. who is maybe of the different demographic doesn't feel left behind. Now, now let's talk a little bit about the merger from a sort of a integration perspective, because you would imagine merging two very different cultures. Uh, CYBG being around for almost a hundred years. Virgin Money, I uh, didn't know it was around 50 years, but um, uh, but you're right to say so. But it definitely seems like a younger, cooler brand. So cultures may have been very different. Technology systems, processes of two very different banks, bringing those together, I imagine there would have been a, n- a number of challenges that you faced. Talk a little bit about some what of what some of the biggest challenges you faced integrating the two cultures. Um, so just so Virgin's been around for fifteen years. Virgin Money's not, but the key concept there, Nathan, is that Virgin itself as a brand allows you to to kind of um, play around a bit. Um, in terms of the integration of the two cultures, um, it was quite interesting. We talked a bit there about Clydesdale and, and Yorkshire being around for for you know well over a hundred years um, for each of them, uh, and Virgin Money itself being 10, 15 years old. Um, that said, within it, Clydesdale and Yorkshire were actually only separated out as an independent bank in 2016. So we had a, mm. a real blend here of old banks, older banks, which is Clydesdale and Yorkshire, being set set up as a kind of new bank called CYBG only like four or five years ago, effectively coming together with a brand that's quite innovative but a bank that was only about 10 years old. So it really was quite an eclectic mix of cultures and, and systems and um, just just quite quite an interesting concoction. Now, f- from the perspective of purpose, I, I would imagine it's, it's really important to have a unifying purpose and direction to bring those two very different cultures together around a unified vision. Uh, the bank's purpose is making you happier about your money. Why is that such an important purpose to have? And and how do you make sure that that permeates across the business to achieve your wider strategic objectives? Um, so th- maybe a point I should have picked up on the, on the last comment was one of the things uh, the leadership team did, and this just predates me coming into my current position, was to agree that one of the things we wanted to do as a bank was to unify the whole bank around a purpose and to be purpose-led. So regardless of whether you worked in Clydesdale Bank or Yorkshire Bank or Virgin Money or whether you've been the bank in either of the banks for five years or 15 years or even five months, everybody had a common purpose. So that was the first point, almost regardless of what the purpose was itself, setting it aside and saying, we now are a new bank, we are going to unify behind a single purpose, meant that everybody had to change in some way, shape or form. Turning to what our purpose is about, um, there was a lot of work done on this. Uh, It needed to resonate with our customers, with our colleagues, 
um, and with the brand. Um, so it, you'll notice it's making you happy about money. It's not making you happy about money because that's not always that's not always possible. I'll never to be do. happy about my money. So, no, so it, it is about going that kind of extra mile, just doing something slightly differently. It could be a big thing. It could be a small thing to just make you feel better about about your money. Um, and I think, I mean, goodness knows, we would none of us could have seen what what this year has has turned out to be. But money when there's lots of uncertainty in the environment, such as with COVID, money is a huge stress factor for many people. Um, there can't be many people who have been shielded from the fact that at some point in their life they've had money concerns. So making you happier about money is incredibly pertinent at the moment because we're all it's all a bit uncertain. Some people are losing their jobs. Some people are not so sure about what's happening with their jobs. Uh, and, and therefore... Uh, we see it as our purpose to make you feel happier about that and help you as best that we can. Um, so it's actually really come into life, bizarrely, in what's such a difficult set of circumstances. We've got a whole set of kind of videos and teachings called um, uh, Money on Your Mind, um, led by our marketing and brand team. And they're proving incredibly popular by non-customers as well, where we talk about mm. some of the challenges uh, in today's environment and it's it's just about making feel make people feel better about their financial needs and, and any concerns can you give us an example of what that means practically i mean what are some of the most interesting products or innovations that you are most excited about in the bank to help people feel happier about their money well i mean some of these are, are actually uh, are common across 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 all of the banks at the moment such as payment holidays uh, for mortgages, payment holidays sure. for credit cards, setting up all the different loan types for business customers, the big, the medium, and the smaller business customers. So so all of that is in line with uh, where everybody across financial services has gone to try and support the general UK uh, economy and population through this very difficult set of circumstances. I mean, Come back to just a small example. There was one there where um, I talked about it, where people can save money on their um, utility bills or gas and their mm. electric by going into the app. Um, it's a small thing, but it's a thing that you wouldn't expect your bank to do. Um, mm. Other things such as being able to pay your check-in without having to go into to a branch um, just to make it slightly easier. Again, quite pertinent if people are a bit reticent to go on public transport. Previously, you'd have to have kind of slept into your local branch and paid it in. You don't have to do that in, in Virgin Money. Well, let's talk a little bit about that now, actually, because this is something that you mentioned in the pre-interview, the fact that banks now have an opportunity to sort of recast themselves, obviously coming out of the 08-09 financial crisis, Banks weren't uh, really very liked in the wider economy. People didn't really trust or like bankers very much for obvious reasons. Now, banks really have an opportunity, to your point, to sort of recast yeah. themselves and um, really sort of show how they can add value to not only uh, their stakeholders, but also the wider community. Talk a little bit about what the banking industry and, and what Virgin Money specifically are doing um, and what opportunity this has created to really help people out of this crisis and really recast uh, the fortunes I mean, of the bank? Um, I think 2007, 2008, you could fear to say that the banks created the crisis. 
uh, post and post COVID, I think it's for the banks to help solve for the crisis as opposed to its creation. Um, I think to the earlier points that we were touching on, um, how we respond to our customers and how we support them, whether it's a small local business, a bigger business, or even a family with a mortgage, or or just people trying to get their you know foot onto the property ladder. Um, I I think it really is incumbent on the financial services uh, industry now to see how they can help the economy recover, how they can uh, support in particular personal and small business customers through this, especially when events have changed from them. There are many people who potentially could be facing job losses um, that just, that, you know, that just never even entered their mind, say, 12 months sure. ago. They were working in quite yeah. a secure job. So how we, how we support them through that and try and get them to travel across it and get past it is probably where everyone will be watching and how we treat our customers and how we support them is an opportunity to uh, get rid of the shackles of 2007, 2008, one would hope. Hmm. You, would, you, would, you would hope so. So let, let's talk a little bit about the consumer in, in this environment. Um, as you say, uh, many people have lost their jobs, have lost sources of income. The businesses have, have been affected quite significantly due to COVID, COVID-19. How, how do you think the consumer has changed in their relationship to, to using banking services because of, the, because of the pandemic? Are they more inclined to use the challenger neobanks who have branded themselves as almost, in many ways, the anti-bank in many ways? Um, are you seeing that fragile consumer confidence coming back, especially in light of where we are with COVID nineteen, I, I, it's too early to 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 see who's who are the winners and losers, if, if that's the phrase in financial services, and um, because it's a lot of the impacts of COVID um, have been held um, at bay with the various government schemes, whether it's payment holidays, whether it's furlough for for employees. So the actual impact of how this will pan out is yet to be seen. What I can talk about, Nathan, though, is what we saw through the early parts uh, of the crisis. So not surprisingly, branch volumes, very, very quiet and people very reticent to use branches. They are picking back up um, kind of week on week, month on month, but uh, we don't anticipate they're going to come back to previous previous levels. Mm. Uh, Enrollment onto digital banking went up. Uh, People who previously were reluctant to maybe use uh, internet or apps uh, being more um, comfortable to do so. The other thing that was interesting is the length of phone calls were becoming longer. So, huh. um, you know, maybe previously, January, whenever uh, people would maybe phone up, make a payment, check their balance. Um, I think people were beginning to stop and think and ask questions about what this and what that and looking for a bit more advice. So I think uh, if we were to call a trend or two trends i would call the first one which is the the rapid extent or the rapid the acceleration of uh, adoption of digital but but almost juxtaposed with that which is that will do your transactions but the the need or the willingness or the desire of customers to actually kind of sit down and speak to someone when they've got concerns so i think the two kind of have to go hand in hand especially in a complex environment like today 
you talk about the rapid adoption of digital. Let, let's talk about what that looked like for for the bank in light of COVID nineteen, and I guess the the speed at which you were forced and all businesses were forced to to really change and innovate. Um, I'm sure in the pre-interview you you mentioned that some of the things that you were forced to do um, from a digital transformation point of view where a lot of your colleagues told you it would happen in within a year those things eventually happened within a few weeks mm -hmm. uh, i'm sure that's a common thing that's happened across many many different in industries give us an example of sort of how the crisis has increased that speed of change and innovation within the business um i'll i'll use a couple of sets of examples one kind of internal and colleague based and the other one uh, customer based and i'll start with the customer um you know we talked about payment holidays for mortgages, for loans, credit cards. Um, this wasn't something that, that kind of got fed into the system over a period of time. It kind of was announced by the banks and the FCA one day and was enacted almost the following day. So as you can imagine, you get a deluge of requests for something that wasn't actually available just the day before or the week before. Likewise, for some of the small business loans, the bounce back loan scheme, you know, we're effectively setting up a loan uh, for business customers, making it as fast as possible to get that loan and to get the funds for that loan sure. to show up their um, to show up their their cash flow. So uh, that required us to automate at pace using some of the technologies we've got, including phrases that I'm sure you're familiar with, such as robotics and uh, online forms and stuff like that. Sure. And then for and then for our own colleagues. Um, the government instructions across the various um, countries in the UK was really only essential office workers, please. Now, the branch staff were classified as essential and many of our call centre colleagues were classified as essential. Um, but even within that, with social distancing in the call centres, you could get less people in. So we had to quite quickly, like many businesses, maximise the number of people that could effectively work from home, which meant using using things like Office 365, routing calls to home and stuff like that, all of which done within two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, depending mm. on the various business challenges. And I think that was mm. the point you made earlier, which is um, I'm sure if I'd asked for a project to say how long will it take me to get the ability for every Virgin Money colleague to be able to access Microsoft Office or productivity tools from home, I'd have sure. been given a big, a big bill. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 um, and you know, I'm probably talking in years as opposed to weeks. <laughs> um, and it just goes to show that with I think focus, with a single focus, um, and with clarity, it's amazing what clever people can do. Mm, really, really fascinating. Just staying on the topic of of COVID nineteen. Now that so many of us have been forced to work from home, and we've actually got quite comfortable working from home, many of us, um, with no vaccine in sight. Um, a, a lot of organisations are not foreseen coming back into the office until the end of the year, maybe even sort of mid next year. Mm. How are you thinking about that mix between working from home indefinitely, coming back into the office? Is it going to be an either or? Is it going to be a mixture of something in between? What does the future of working from home look like for Virgin Money? Well, I, I think it's, um, everyone's got their version of this, Nathan. I think, I think firstly, we're 
we're not really into a stabilised situation, so we're still really mid-pandemic. Um, we don't see any immediate change in how we're currently operating until the general environment stabilises, whether that's vaccines or various different changes. Um, and, and so to that end, we're, we're not anticipating either lots of people currently, who are currently in the office being working from home or likewise lots of people who are currently working from home coming into the office. That said, when we when we go through the other side of this, um, we, we're seeing a much more flexible model. Um, there are certain processes or things that we do for our customers that just physically you have to do face-to-face -face or you have to do in an office. There are certain things also from a security point of view you want to do in a bank secured building. Um, sure. That's high-value payments or stuff like that. Not sure you really want people authorizing high-value payments from their kitchen table. From the kitchen, uh, yeah. sure. So, so and, and you know, there's infrastructure constraints about that as well. So I think you're going to see a blend of kind of three kinds of colleagues and don't know the exact percentage. Colleagues who will always come into an office to do what they need to do. Stores are a good example. It's very that you can't do a store experience from home. Uh, some, some call center colleagues and some payments and some other colleagues as well. And then you've got colleagues who actually will discover there's no, really no need for them to come into an office. They were just coming in to sit down and do emails. And mm. um, now they need to feel part of a team. So they would probably have to come in from time to time to kind of come together as a group. You know, you can see business bankers coming together to, as a group, but actually you really want them out with their customer base or as we're now seeing doing video calls with their customer base, sure. they could, but they can do that from home. And then you've got uh, hybrid colleagues where they would come in uh, work on a problem for a week, do some solutioning or whatever you want to call it, and then they would go and do their their various disciplines and, and bits and pieces they need for that project, and then they would come back again kind of um, on and off. So you'll see that kind of blend of always in, nearly always at home, and then <laughs> a bit of a mixture in the middle, and I wouldn't be surprised if it falls into kind of equal tranches, but time will tell. Really fascinating. And then just from your own personal uh, perspective, um, we had a pre-interview last week and yeah. um, you were at home in your T-shirt. I, I can't yeah, remember yeah. the slogan that you had on your T-shirt, but from what I hear from the rest of your team, you're always very sharply dressed in ah. in very nice suits uh, and you weren't on that particular day. I don't know whether it was just because you felt more comfortable with me yeah. uh, or whether that's just because of the, the new normal that we're now in. Oh, I think it's I think it's the new normal. I, I think this um, this concept of work is something you do, not somewhere you go. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, clearly everyone you, you don't want to turn up, um, not not quite looking the part. But I think I, I think if if we can take positives, and you have to take positives when you can, Nathan, from COVID, mm. it has been a bit of a leveler. Um, you know, why would you get dressed up in a suit or a smart set of clothes to sit in your spare room or in a study at home and, sure. just, and just look down the camera. Um, it seems somewhat odd, but yeah, that's what we seem to do when we go into an office. We go all clothed up and suited and booted and off we go. So I, I sure. it's just, just one of the changes, I suppose. Mm, really fascinating. I mean, you did say in the pre-interview that COVID-19 has democratised communication. Yeah. You know, Now that we see our children coming into our living rooms and our living space being on yeah. our Zoom calls, uh, climbing, climbing all over us. That definitely humanizes all of us, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I, um, I think, and I think, 
um, um, the fact that everyone was having to adjust to this. Um, you know, and the other thing as well is, um, you know, I've got a younger family, so I, I could completely understand the challenges of having to do homeschooling and to do a job hmm. um, and all of that. And, and, and for some of us, that we were just regardless of your job title, you had the same challenges as the, uh, I don't know, someone else working in one of your projects. So it, it was a bit of a leveler. I think the other thing as well is, um, I think that even in, in, this, uh, in this podcast, I think it stripped away some of the kind of stuffiness and the over-preparedness of leadership. Mm. I think sometimes we're expected to turn out like it's some TV show. And I think <laughs> the very natural atmosphere of working from home just kind of mm. kind of um, takes that maybe falseness away. Yeah, definitely agree with you. L- let's talk a little bit about your time as COO, Fraser. You've been hit with a number of challenges over the last few years, not only the merger of two large established brands and all of the cultural and technological challenges that go along with that, but also COVID-19 challenges at the beginning of this year, remote working, uh, uh, sort of communicating all of that disruption to an employee base of over 4,000 people, homeschooling, as we've talked about a little bit earlier. Um, What keeps you up at night these nights? Uh, it, it kind of actually is kind of back to the basic stuff. I think mm-hmm. there is a risk, and we talked on this previously about banks and financial services and technology providers to get whipped up into their own frenzy um, and, and think it's all really important. And actually, I think really when it comes down to um, what we're here to do in Virgin Money is to support our customers. Um, and I think um, that's, it doesn't keep me awake at night, but it's, that's the focus that we need to maintain, whether it's mm. innovation, whether it's service, whatever we're doing, especially in this current environment, needs to be very focused around our purpose. Um, so it's less keeping me awake at night and more just front of mind. Mm. Really fascinating. Let's, let's talk a little bit about innovation in, in financial services more broadly. We've never seen so many d- designers, customer experience people, user experience people working in banks before. It must be quite a culture shock for sort of the more established people in in banking to see creative types walking around the office all day. But when we look at the experience of an Amazon.com, a Netflix, an Apple, a Google, just just go down the list, and we see how users have been so tethered to their devices and their apps and the experience that we get from such platforms, why is it taking? Why is why has it taken? banks and the financial services sector to adapt and to adjust to the way that we all want to consume products and services? Um, well, I think about two points of view on that one. The, the first one was, um, or is, um, banks have a lot of heritage systems and processes that some of either the new, newer banks or newer businesses don't have. Um, so... I think that's that. That's one of the things that holds us back, which is how we modernise as we go, because we can't stop. You mentioned the number of customers we got. We 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 can't stop and say, hold on, we're going to update our systems, come back in six sure. months' time. And I think that is a huge thing for financial services. Um, and and understandably, there's a lot of regulation and protection that goes around this for the consumer or or for the business customer. So there are certain things 
from a financial services point of view, you need to do and you need to do it well. Uh, and as we've seen in various kind of um, uh, issues, and if you get it wrong and you're not there for your customers, if your systems aren't available or, or if there's a glitch or there's a, um, some mistake, um, the, the consequences are huge. Um, so I think um, get, getting rid of the legacy and, and trying to modernise the legacy is, is a big thing that's common with many of the big banks and how you do that. Um, and it's kind of the same thing um, but from another angle. Many of the people who have done well um, I've actually got greenfield sites, Netflix, you know, starts off doing one thing. Sure. Um, so it, it's probably the complexity of systems and complexity of processes that holds us back. Uh, and the final point I'd probably make in that is, but we also do, if we're being somewhat critical, we convince ourselves that some of that complexity and some of that um, I don't know, legacy, if we call it that, is actually of value to the customers. And it probably mm. isn't as valuable as, as, as we might think. And we maybe let that. Mm blindside us from time to time Nathan. So so how do we think about that then at, at Virgin Money because a number of other banks have looked at innovation hubs um, maybe not inside the the main business but maybe just adjacent to it or some, somewhere off site where all the innovation happens you know that's where you build that's where the creatives go. Um, how, how do you think about where that innovation happens so that so that I guess the legacy and the bureaucracy of an established bank um, doesn't hold back the innovative products and services that you need to compete with the challenges and the neo banks of the world. Well, so we have what's called a disruption hub, and that's where we try to seek disruptive solutions for business or customer problems. And I'll come on to that in a, in a second or two. I think the first thing is. is not everything needs to be innovated. So there is a risk that you actually try to modernise and innovate something that's actually quite okay. Thank you very much. So I think the first thing is to, to establish is why why do you want to change this? What's the, what, what's the customer needing that we're not providing? Or is there a better way to do that? And then it's really all about how you mobilise around solving that problem. And that's the point of our disruption hub, which is rather than silos or in disciplines, um, you, you get a problem or you establish a problem that you're trying to fix and you get everyone from not everyone but everyone from the required disciplines and teams are uh, kind of coalesced around that problem agreeing how you're going to fix it and move and move forward on that basis so i don't think it's necessarily innovation uh, in terms of technical innovation it's more about breaking down silos creating much more collaboration and getting to the solution faster Mm, really fascinating. Fraser, last question before we get into our, our favourite questions at the end of the right. interview that we ask all of our guests. Um, let's talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion because representation of women and minorities in leadership positions, especially in financial services, has been lacking for quite some time. And despite women being 50% of, of the workforce and consumers, uh, we're not really seeing the pace of change that many of us would have expected or, or would have liked. What, what more can be done to make sure that representation of women and minorities are more reflective of the world that we see uh, in day-to-day -day life? Well, I, I actually think so the first thing is um, I definitely, I'm a big supporter of this because it definitely creates for a much better team dynamic. Um, it's not just about numbers, it's about a better team. The, the other thing for me is I think we're beginning to see, as, as you mentioned earlier, 
some of the old, older, tra more traditional skills that tended to be dominated by, uh, you know, by one side, as it were, are, are actually the ones that are less required. And things like the innovation, the creativity, um, you know, data is a really good example. Um, these these are wide open for uh, all all walks of life to actually get their foot in the ladder and 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 study and and work their way up on. Sure. And I think that's a great opportunity for everybody. You know, STEM things like that is really really important. Um, and they, it, we're actually seeing much more balance in that uh, uh, in terms of of gender. The, the other thing as well is I think, again, remote working can play a part here because you used to see, um, you know, lots of people in certain centres with certain demographics. So it's, you know, uh, Glasgow, for example, has not got the most um, uh, kind of mixed uh, demographic necessarily. Sure. But, but actually, you don't have to work in Glasgow to work in, say, my IT department now. You could work mm -hmm. at home. So you could be in Bradford, you could be in Manchester. So I actually sure. think there's a big opportunity here with remote working to actually appeal to all walks of life to do different jobs. Um, and I mm. think that combined with the different demands of what's required in terms of innovation and technology should op should hopefully open up the opportunity and certainly leave us with no excuses why we, why we don't achieve a much more appropriate balance. Hmm. Really, really fascinating. Fraser. I, I know I've only got you for a few more minutes, so let's get into everyone's favourite questions. These, these are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. Um, start with the, an easier one. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Um, I've got lots of failures. I don't call them failures. <laughs> Things I wish I hadn't done. Like it's probably because right. you have to be kind to yourself. Um, I, I sure. remember. Uh, I'm not going to mention which job it was in, um, but um, I, I thought the way to solve a particular problem was, or a challenge was, to actually do some kind of outsource deal and partner with a firm, and they would do something for me, almost like a silver bullet solution. Mm. Uh, and it didn't quite work out. It turned out to be problematic. It was difficult to implement. Uh, difficult to take colleagues with you. Um, and and what I learned from that, Nathan, was um, maybe I should have listened more. Uh, hmm. But the other thing as well is very rarely is there a silver bullet for a complex problem. So if someone comes along and says, I know what you need to do. Here's the way to fix this. And it sounds, hmm. sounds too good to be true. Uh, it hmm. probably is. <laughs> Really fascinating. Listen more. That's something my fiance keeps telling me. I need to probably listen to her a little bit more, yeah. actually. Um, um, tell us about some of your early mentors. Who influenced the way that you think about financial services, the way you think about banking and your own career development? Oh, um, so for some reason, I'm always, I always remember uh, the person who kind of woke me up to my career um, because I was just a young guy in kind of branch banking uh, and then I worked on my first ever project um, and I realised I was quite good at this kind of stuff um, hmm. so I have a bit of a soft spot for that person because it was almost them that were the, he was the catalyst for making me realise maybe I could do a lot better than I maybe thought for myself hmm. um, and then actually uh, my current boss um, I was kind of thrust into this role uh, um, and um, he's been very supportive in terms of not just in terms of uh, 
me doing the job and getting the job, but actually growing into the job. Um, and uh, very supportive, even at this level, in my own personal development. Hmm. Really fascinating. Tell us about some of your favorite books. What do you read for personal and professional development? Fiction, non-fiction, banking related, whatever. Um, so I tend, I, I actually listen to quite a lot of audio books because I find that huh. a much more, uh, I don't know, I find it more relaxing. I think, especially just now, I don't know about you, I'm reading stuff all the time. Everything's on the mm. screen. I'm reading, reading, reading. So mm. I listen to audio books um, and uh, they're quite good if I'm out on the bike or when I was traveling quite a lot. It's a good way to use use time and just to get some, some thoughts. You asked me about my favorites, I think. Is that, is that mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've just I've finished one um, just recently, which is The 12 Rules for Life by a guy called Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Antidote, Great book. Antidote to Chaos. I thought that yeah. was quite good. Mm -hmm. um, very dense. But yes, very good. It's, yeah, yeah. It's actually quite good as an audio book. And then one I was using sure. for my, my own self-development, which is Leadership in the Art of Self-Deception. Huh. And it's basically how sometimes, as leaders, we don't really realize how we're coming across. And actually, it's about listening, believe it or not, and get hearing the other person's point of view. It's, it's a really good mm. book. It's, it's written a bit like a fable, so it's not just lots of rules. I see. It's um, written it's a story. as a, a, a narrative. Uh, sure. And then my, the best business book I still come back to is um, the um, Stephen Covey book. Uh, it's the Seven Habits? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I mean, it was back in the 1990s, but yeah. it was this Begin with the end in mind. If That's you don't know it. Where you're it going, if you don't know where you're going, how do you know if you've got there? There you go. It, it, I think it's still as relevant today as any point in history. Uh, really fascinating. Uh, what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? Not as much as I should. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, I do cycling. So I have an indoor bike and an outdoor bike. And depending on where I'm at, whether I'm in Glasgow or I'm back home, uh, I'll go outdoor cycling or just stay indoor cycling. Um, mm -hmm. I also am very fortunate to live uh, most of the time in quite a rural area, so I just actually find sitting and looking out at the sea quite mm. peaceful. And then I've got a young family, which doesn't allow you much free time to do yeah. anything else. <laughs> um, and I do, I, ha I have been known to kind of um, do the odd box set on Netflix or Amazon or well, that leads me to the next next question. Yeah. What, what have you been streaming and watching on Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, whatever? Uh, What's been good? So, um, it's so I've just finished Goliath season three. Okay. On Amazon Prime with Billy Bob Thornton. Sure. Um, and that that was really good. I really enjoyed that. I haven't um, seen that yet, but it's on the it's, list. It's yeah. like, it's it. And then the other one, my wife and I are watching at the moment just for a bit of light relief, is a comedy called Shit's Creek. Uh, I think that's ah. on Netflix. It's it's yeah. a wee bit sickly, um, but it's it's good for a laugh. <laughs> yeah, I did see that advertised actually. I haven't I haven't gotten to it yet, but but you recommend it? Yes, well for a laugh. Fraser, tell us something we don't know about your background. Um, well, probably considering what my job titles have been, and it's all been talking tech, um, probably folks might be quite interested to know that I actually live in what's called a croft, which is a small holding. 
um, and I keep sheep. Yeah, I didn't expect you to say that. How many sheep do you keep? Uh, we'll, we'll only get 20 at the moment. Um, it's it's a lot of work because we have to kind of do it at the weekends and we do the shearing by hand and stuff like that. So um, Fascinating. It's, a bit, it's a bit of a tradition. Yeah, that is definitely unexpected. I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't know that about you. And you mentioned something about a hospice. Oh, yeah. Um, so I worked in Spain in the early 1990s and my neighbour coerced me into supporting her in her project to help set up the first hospice in Spain. So it's one of my uh, personal accomplishments that I'm most proud of because I helped set up Cudeca, which is the first independent hospice in Spain in the Costa del Sol. And it's still going from strength to strength today. And I'm still a trustee of the hospice. Hmm, absolutely fascinating. In the last three to five years, what ideas, behaviours or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes? I think I've been more focused on giving myself some space and time to think a bit more rather than be busy. Um, I think, you know, as you build your career, you think you have to be busy and workaholic and working really hard and stuff. And working hard isn't always just about being busy. It's about sometimes stepping back and thinking about what you need to do, thinking about the business problem, thinking about how you communicate, just taking time to think through the problems and come up with a better response rather than just jumping in uh, to respond. Hmm. Final couple of questions. What advice would you give to a, a millennial or a young person who comes to you and says that they want to start their career in the financial services world? What advice do you give them? Um, well, I, I would probably... So it's, it's kind of ironic because financial services is set up to avoid risk. Um, <laughs> take, take some risk. I, in my own career, I've moved around jobs. I've moved around countries. Um, and takes, don't, don't just get pigeonholed in one area of a bank and, and try and explore a bit in your early mm. work out, work out what, what, where, you, where, you, where you are at your best. Because I have found that where you are at your best is what you tend to like, and what you tend to like is what you tend to do your best in, mm. and it kind of reinforces itself. Mm. Great advice. And my final question, Fraser: What does you know about the world of financial services and banking today that you wish you knew at the very beginning of your career? Um, it's probably two things. Um, um, they kind of link back to one of my previous answers as well, which is. There's no silver bullet. You kind of have to work at it. Very complex problems don't solve themselves just instantly. Um, and um, I probably listen, stroke, study the problem so you understand what you're trying to, to solve or trying to fix or trying to do, whether that's a business problem or a, a problem for the customer. Which is a, understand understand the, the background before you just jump in. Mm. Great place to end. Fraser, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Nathan. We have been speaking with Fraser Ingram. He is currently the Group Chief Operating Officer at Virgin Money. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to other guests discussing all things innovation. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan.innovate.show. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NathanAnnieBarber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own innovators. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Megeki is our booker slash project manager. 
Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibarbo. You've been listening to Dot Innovate. And we're done.